0: Last week, we're in this series called The Gospel, and this is the last kind of week of it, and last week, we talked about the evangelical gospel and the social gospel. And we kind of talked about, like, if you put any word in front of the gospel, you are already kind of missing the point, Right? Uh, If you missed last week, uh, we talked about how the evangelical gospel has some good and beautiful things that are a part of it, but it also has some gaping holes in it, some things that are missing, that are being ignored. And we talked about the social gospel, and there are some beautiful and good things about it, but there are holes in it as well, and there's ways that it goes way off track and does things like ignore the scripture as God breathed useful for instruction and direction for us. So my goal in this series is not just to feed you what the gospel is, but to challenge us in how we think of the gospel. And to remind us that the gospel isn't summed up in in a nice little neat phrase, but it's summed up in the gospels that is centered on Jesus that proclaim the good news to this world. So, my goal even today is to get us thinking. What is the full gospel for us? Uh, How how would you, if if somebody walked up and asked you what the gospel is, what would you say? My guess is it would have something to do with uh, you are a sinner. You need to believe that Jesus is the Savior. And... If you believe this, you will go to heaven. Is anybody familiar with that gospel? Would anybody say that that gospel is wrong? <laughs> You'd be like, no, I'm not saying that. you got to be crazy. I, I think if you would ask... Most in this room, this is what it would boil down to. You are a sinner. If you believe the right things, you are going to go to heaven. If you don't believe that Jesus is Savior, you are going to go to where? Hell. We'll put a graphic up here. I would also encourage you, go and ask your neighbors what the gospel is. Like, they don't have to believe in, in Jesus. They don't have to go to church. It's even better if they don't. Because I would bet that most people that you walk up to, and if you were to ask them, hey, what's the gospel? And if you could get past like they think you're, tr- they're, you're trying to like sabotage them with some uh, track or something like that, or be like, ha, gotcha, let me tell you what the real gospel is. Like if you could actually have a real conversation, maybe over coffee or beer or something like that. Like, hey, what's the gospel? What do you think the gospel is? Their response would probably be something like, this. You're a sinner. If you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. Or, if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. Right? And I would encourage you, ask people what the gospel is, because it can lead to some really interesting conversations. You might want to preface it with, like, I'm not trying to trick you, right? But, It leads to some good conversations. But but this is mostly our paradigm that it starts with earth or it starts with me, you, right? And then there's this line of life that leads to either heaven or it leads to hell, right? Now, if you are living your life and maybe you do more good things than bad things, Maybe you're on the top of that line, right? Uh, for, for a lot of us, it's probably like a, a wavy line like this, right? Like, some days I'm good, some days I'm messed up. But, but this is usually the gospel that is preached. Like, like if, if you can be good enough, or if you can, let's do this for church people, if you can modify your behavior enough to appear good, then you are on that top of the line, and then you are probably going to go to heaven When you die. If you're just a horrible person, usually nobody says that I am a... Like, they don't say that they themselves are horrible, right? Other people point to people and go, they don't believe the right thing, or or they're just not living very good, or they're a bad person. Then they would be below that line and and maybe end up in hell. This is usually the framework that, that we come with when we talk about the gospel and hopefully you and I can you can manage our lives in such a way that we do enough good things uh, sometimes we're probably above that line sometimes we're below that line and then hopefully we end up in the good place right uh, or maybe like it, it becomes a matter of just what you believe Like, if you just believe that Jesus is your Savior, then where are you going to go? Heaven. If you don't believe Jesus is your Savior, no matter what side of the line that you live on, where are you going to go? Hell. Now, in the spirit of trying to get us to think a little critically, what's wrong with this model? What? Yes. That is a major thing that is wrong with this model. Who's the center of this model? Me. Because if we make the gospel all about, well, you have to live a certain way, you have to believe the right thing, and then The whole purpose is for you to get to heaven. Who's the center of the gospel? You are. I am. So this gospel is very me centered. It's all about me. It's all about what I believe. It's all about how I live. If I can believe the right thing, do the right thing, then I'm going to go to this place called heaven, which we don't really understand. We don't really know what it's about. There's something with like clouds and harps and some music. or, Or if you have watched The Good Place, it's about this utopian society that's set up where nothing goes wrong and everything's great, right? Until that one person sneaks in and starts messing things up. And if you don't believe the right things, then you're going to go to this place called hell, which is this fiery furnace. Like there's, I I imagine there's chains, there's like gnashing of teeth, whatever that means. And it's really hot and there's always people screaming in agony. So one of the problems with that is that you are the focus of that story. What's another issue? Another issue I wish we could be in like a classroom setting and have a a robust discussion about this. Um, But another issue, aside that it's you-centered, is that you will be hard-pressed to find this model throughout Scripture. Like you'll be hard-pressed to find this model In the Gospels, you can find aspects of it, but you'll be hard-pressed to find this exact model in the Scriptures. So what do you do with this? I would contend that there are pieces of this that are true. And accurate. And then there's some things that I think we've maybe simplified just a little too much in hopes of creating this nice, neat little package that we could serve up to somebody to get them to make a decision and say a prayer so that we could put a tally in the win box for us as Christians. Mark chapter 1. Turn there with me. Mark chapter 1, we have John the Baptist is on the scene and he's saying, look, I am called to prepare the way, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. So John the Baptist on scene saying, hey, something really awesome is going to happen. I am here to prepare the way for that awesomeness. I don't know if you've ever heard Jesus referred to as before as awesomeness, but there's a first time for everything. And then Jesus comes on the scene. In verse 14, John was put in a prison. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news. Some of us still don't believe the gospel is good news. And some of us whittle that good news down to, well, you will go to heaven when you die. But aside from that, there's not much good news for us. But Jesus comes, the good news. In this model, what's the next thing that he should say? I've come to proclaim the good news. If you believe in me, you're going to go to heaven, right? According to that model that we usually operate by. Does he say that? No. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Already, there's a couple things at play. He quotes from Isaiah. So he's linking back to the Old Testament. He's linking back to the story of God. And so really the gospel doesn't start with you and I. The gospels start with the story of God, the story of creation, the story of God pursuing his people in Israel, the story of God coming, sending prophets, trying to get them on the right track, and the story of Jesus arriving on the scene and being the fulfillment of the entire story. So the story doesn't start with you. The story starts with God. And he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. According to Jesus, what's the goal of the gospel? Is it for you to, when you die go to some place called heaven and like fly there with wings because you're an angel? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But throughout Jesus' ministry, throughout the Gospels, he talks much more about the Gospels, the good news being that the kingdom of God is coming down here. Here. So for Jesus, you, you won't hear him say, well, just believe so you can get to heaven. No, no, no. Believe, repent, so that you can witness and be a part of the kingdom of God being built here, now. This is a completely different way of thinking. I, I, I have a video, it's about a five-minute video from The Gospel Project. And it's this website, they have a YouTube page, they have everything. It's an amazing place to learn theology in the overall scope of Scripture. But I have this video, it's talking about this whole subject that I think sums it up nicely for us. I'll come back up and finish the sermon after we're done.
1: But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space.
2: So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but... This idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that.
1: Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning
2: where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping.
1: Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation. and, And humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on.
2: But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses, and the other
1: But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty. But human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that
2: results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this?
1: Yeah, the the idea is this. to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once
0: again. They said it better than I could. So the gospel. God makes us in his image. The world becomes fractured and broken because we chase after something that's created rather than chasing after the creator, something in which we are continually trying to undo to this day. God begins his pursuit of his people. Jesus comes as the ultimate fulfillment to the story. The story of God. Jesus conquers sin. He spends his ministry confronting sin and brokenness in this world. And he conquers death through the resurrection. And then he invites you and I to partner in witnessing the kingdom of God that he is building here on earth earth, knowing that we will join him someday. I love that the the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 basically frames out this gospel. You were dead before you knew Jesus, and Jesus made you alive. And now you are seated with him as he is on the throne. You are in him and he is in you. It changes everything. It changes your identity. It changes your purpose. It changes what you live for. It changes how you live. It changes how you think. goes on to say, you you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are not only free from things, but you are also free to things that Jesus calls you to. He says, this is a gift of grace for you have been saved. And he says, you are God's handiwork. You are created for good works that he's created beforehand. You are created as his sons and daughters to come back as the image, as his image bearer in this world to be a part of partnering with him to build the kingdom of God, of Jesus. There are four things that I think are important in Whenever you think of the Gospels or tell the Gospel story, there are four things that I think are important to include. First, the Gospel is framed in Israel's story. The Gospels are framed in God's story. It doesn't start with you it starts with god we frame the gospels in israel's story then the narration of the saving story of jesus his life his death his resurrection his exaltation and his coming again as the completion of israel's story Uh, N.T. Wright says that there are four parts to God's story, and we are, or four acts. He kind of talks about it as a play, and we are in Act Five as the church. Continuing to live out the story of Jesus. Number two, the gospel centers on the lordship of Jesus. Uh, The problem with that first gospel that I put up, we're like, Maybe I live above the line, maybe I don't, uh, but primarily it's focused on what I believe. So if I believe the right thing, I can go to heaven. What's another big problem with that gospel is that people, and this has shaped Christianity in America at least, I don't know about other nations, but in America at least, this has shaped Christianity where you get to the place where you go, all I have to do is think the right thing. Doesn't have a whole lot to do with how I live. So I can have other idols in my life. I, I, I can live how I want. I can buy what I want. I can chase after what I want. But guess what? I believe that Jesus is Lord, so I'm going to heaven. I'm good. The Gospels talk about a different story. The one that says, no, the Lordship of Jesus in your life is absolutely essential It involves giving up idols. It involves letting Jesus be the source of every part of your life. Your identity, how you think, your finances, your relationships, your sexuality, how you think, how you live, every single aspect of your life. Jesus is Lord over. It's Romans 12. Through your grace and mercy... We transform how we think and live. You renew us. It's no longer the ways of the world, but it's now I'm made alive in Jesus, and He is the Lord of my life. I surrender everything to Him. And that's a continual process. Minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. The third part of the gospel there's a, uh, involves summoning people to respond. Jesus dies, he comes back. He uh, comes to his followers, his disciples. And what does he tell them? Go and make disciples. Preach the gospel. Preach the good news. Make disciples of all people. Baptizing them. Name the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's this third aspect. One that we historically have done pretty well over the last 50 years. But it's creating a point where there is a summoning to a decision about Jesus. And the fourth is that the gospel saves and redeems. The gospel promises forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit and justification for us. So two questions. How do you respond to the gospel? Again, your own life in your own day-to-day life, how do you respond to the gospel? Is it good news? Sometimes I fear that, that we've been like inoculated by the gospel. That it's no longer all that powerful to us. That it's no longer good news for you and I because we've fallen into this way of believing the gospel is just something I need when it comes time to die. The gospels are so much more. Jesus is so much more. So is it good news for you? Because it has to be good news for you before it's good news for anybody else. It has to be good news for you before it's good news for anyone else. In my guess, in this room or online, we are all over the map on whether or not the gospel is good news. Right? I mean, we could just be honest about that. I think half the battle is identifying where we are at in our relationship with the gospels. So if you're somebody who's like, man, I've been a Christian for 30 years and, and I think of the gospel, I read the gospels, I know about Jesus, like I know all the stuff, but it's, it's kind of stuck in my head and it's not down in my heart yet. And it's not like when I think about it, it's not like good news. Yes, this is amazing. It's more like, yeah, it's kind of cool. If we are in that place, I want to encourage us. Spend time praying. Spend time with Jesus in the Gospels and ask the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Because it has to be good news for us before it's good news for anyone else. And the next question, after you get through that one, how do you communicate the gospel? Through words and action. How do you communicate the gospels? Again, I would assume that not all of you are out preaching the gospel every week at your places of work, at your school, on the playground. Kids are downstairs, I don't know. Uh, Places you go out to eat. My guess is not many of us are out there preaching the gospel every single week. If you are, come talk to me. I'd love to chat. So my challenge for us, our primary role that Jesus told us to do is go out and preach the gospel. In Colossians, it says, whether in word or deed, preach the gospel. So my question is, how do you preach the gospel in your life with the whole gospel in mind? Think on those two questions, ponder them, and keep reading through the Gospels. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus, I pray through your grace and mercy that you would transform our minds, that slowly, You would transform our minds so we don't think and live according to the ways of the world. But Jesus, if we were following you, I pray that we would think and live according to your ways, that we would make you Lord of our lives, so everything in our lives is subject to you, surrendered to you. And that this gospel, this gospel that saves, that redeems transform our lives it would transform our church because if we allow our lives to be transformed if we allow the Holy Spirit to grow fruit in our lives to gift us according to the mission of Jesus then this whole community and world will be changed. For you, by you, as we witness the kingdom of God coming down. Stir in us this affection for you, this affection for the whole gospel. Amen. Amen.